Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on business, investing, and finance. I like to bring on guests to hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. Failure doesn't have to set you back. In fact, it can be used as a tool to set you apart from the competition. My next guest shares his past failures and how he's used those failures as a marketing tool. In this episode, we talk about how and why he failed, how he uses failure to stand apart, and why we should all not be trying to look perfect in a world that's cluttered with prideful behavior. Please welcome Ben Courier. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it, Sean. Glad to have you here. So why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Sure. So my background is a bit of a storied past, but in terms of uh, training and education, um, I went to undergraduate for accounting, where I basically picked accounting before I knew what it was, because uh, that's how you basically pick a major, it seems. But then also advanced to get my MBA um, at the same school, uh, which is Bentley back in Boston area. I grew up in Salem, Massachusetts. So witch city where they had the witch trials and um i've uh, dealt with my fair share of people saying they can predict the future and whatnot which i think is a funny um uh, segue into the investing area because a lot of people can't <laughs> predict the future with stocks right. and investing and things like that so um i grew up with a high level of skepticism and critical thinking when it comes to what people can tell you and and how much they know and then i've worked in the past 15 years in corporate finance and accounting and had mixed results and I'm trying to embrace the entrepreneurial lifestyle and make as few mistakes as I can, which is why I embrace the topic of failure, which is hopefully what I'll be getting your listeners a little bit more comfortable with. Awesome. And I, just to give the audience a little context here, you know, I, I read your bio and, and I think you reached out to me and I saw, you know, failure, you're the failure guy. And you really lean into that to talk about some of the mistakes you made and myself and my audience, we do like that. We learn, like learning from people's mistakes, but we also appreciate when somebody's, you know, they're humble enough and they can actually put those mistakes out there for others. Cause in the world we live in today, everybody, you know, a lot of people online trying to be perfect and put out this perfect persona and they're, they're, there's a lot of pride there and and we try to gravitate away from that so why don't you take us through some of the failures and um, we can dive into that a little bit yeah absolutely so i think it started out um my stepdad growing up he would say he was a hot tar roofer and he did uh plowing so he was doing a lot of manually intensive type of things and he said his basically only advice that he had was uh, you can either play now as a kid uh, and pay later, which is what he didn't really go to school or pay attention too much, or you can pay now and play later, which kind of fits into your payback, uh, you know, mm -hmm. overall vibe. But point is, I was like, okay, I'll do the pay now, play later because I can't do physical labor like he's doing. I'll take the one advice that I know he knows he misses out on school. So I was like, okay, if I focus on that, I focus on my skills and get better at following the rules and the blueprint of how you should go through school, then I'll be set. Once I'm out of college, everything will be fine. I'll get to play in my mind. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. he didn't know what the other side is like either. He just knew the way he did it wasn't, wasn't the right way. So I, unfortunately, since graduating college, have been fired from every job I've had since graduating, which is now six for six. But it took me the fifth one before I could even admit it to myself. And so I think... What you're saying about authenticity and about putting yourself out there is like sometimes we hide to ourselves what's going on because especially in the business world if you're interviewing they might call your former employers but they won't say 
what happened. They'll just say he worked from X to X and this was his position and how much he got paid because they don't want to uh, probably deal with you again. But really, they just uh, don't tend to give out enough information so I could lie or dance my way around most of the issues. But that would be I wouldn't even realize myself that that happened. So then after the fifth one, I was like, wait, these were all like, you know, not necessarily my choice. I was being told, hey, uh, you know, you do amazing work, but we just can't handle whatever it is that is uh, mismatching with me and corporate America. And I think a lot of it was I tried to to supplement my skill and increase that rather than do the corporate politics and type of, um, mm -hmm. you know, more sneaky stuff. I'd say I wasn't playing the game. I was trying to get out of that game by getting better at my skills. And unfortunately, people don't know what kind of skill it takes to do some of the things, but they do recognize people who play that game well and position mm -hmm. themselves well within a company, which I just, being from Boston, like I said, it, uh, we're very much like straight to the point. We won't um, sugarcoat things. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't always drive sometimes with the business area, especially corporate America. But sometimes it was my fault. Sometimes it was their fault. Sometimes a mix. Couple times I hired my own, the person who fired me. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of lessons I learned along the way. But I think more than anything, it made me more confident that A, I could go off and do my own thing uh, and be my own boss because then I have to answer to myself. But also, clearly, they don't want me. So why would I keep trying to go back to that sure. industry? And so, really, the whole failure thing is more like I was trying to, I felt like I had to portray what you were saying, like the social media highlight reel version yeah. of me as a professional businessman who can do, you know, I have an MBA, so I know everything. And really, a lot of times I'd be tapped out on all the, you know, FP&A work that I was doing so that I would let my own personal life suffer in terms of financial planning because I was so basically exhausted on the topic sure. that I wouldn't want to face my own finances. So there's a lot sure. that I had to deal with in terms of looking in the mirror and saying, what's going on? Why? can you fit in with this world and you got to start figuring out how to embrace failure or at least take the sting out of it because it's a necessary component towards success that a lot of people yeah. want to shun away and not show the world and so i figured well hey there's a lot of competition for the world's number one accountant uh, online but there's not much competition for the number one failure so i figured that'd be funny and as i was you know <laughs> networking and basically saying hey uh you should learn excel i could fall see people fall asleep like during that sentence so i was like well how can i switch this out and make it a little bit more interesting for me this is pre-covid networking yep. days yeah and now um you know i just feel like i'm more basically each time i got fired it was like the person i am at work and the person i am at home became more the same person until i didn't feel like i was putting on an act anywhere that's great if that makes sense I, I love that because you're right. So many people, they are one version of themselves at home or with their friends. And then they go to work. They're completely different. They're playing a game and they're putting on a facade. And, and then you get the ladder climbers that, you know, they're they're ready to backstab and and bow to the corporate machine so they can look better. You know, see a lot of that, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'd like to dive into... You know, because the audience is wondering, you know, I talked to a lot of our uh, customers at Ticker and a lot of listeners and they're like, well, you got to ask this question. You got to ask this. So they want me. I know them enough. They want me to ask you, walk us through a specific failure. Sounds like maybe you said the wrong thing or maybe you didn't do what you're told exactly. Like, let's get right to it. Sure. So um, one of the two folks who I had hired, literally, I was interviewing them to hire them into the company at basically my level. I would look for people who would fill in the gaps of what I can do. Like, let's say I'm not a type A personality. I might be looking for a type A personality so that it rounds out the team. 
with the hope of making the company better. Most people in that situation, or maybe I should have uh, hired someone who's more along the same lines as me because we might get along better. But since I hired someone who seemed to be the opposite of me in terms of skill set and like filling in gaps that I had, I thought that was the right move. But that ended up meaning I had to work with a person who's very uh, much on to-do list duty and very micromanaging mm-hmm. once they played the corporate ladder game and got above where I was because I wasn't trying to do anything but make my role at the company, which is the entire budgeting for a multi, you know, a very complicated roll-up of entities. And so mm-hmm. my job was to make sure these Excel spreadsheets were bulletproof and error-proof and things like that mix that in with hiring someone who then makes my life harder and is always seemingly just getting me to do the work. A lot of times it seems like that's what managers are. They don't, they don't necessarily do the work as much as they know how to get people to do work. And I was realizing no matter how good I get at Excel, they're going to want to keep me doing Excel. They're not going to make me a manager or C-suite because I'm not doing Excel anymore. And that's what I'm good at. I'm not great at doing the managing and leading because I've hadn't had the opportunity to experience that. So I think Having the best intentions, it doesn't necessarily matter sometimes in in the world of corporate America because everyone is so confined to their own little piece of the pie, especially in a large corporation, that you don't see much of what's going on in any department and you trust the the people who have the closest view as to what they say. And so if they have a giant folder of the things you've done wrong and you haven't been keeping a folder of things of anything that anyone did wrong, it's, it's hard to have any sort of ability to push back when Leverage. things don't go right. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm thinking more about let's make sure this is the best budget. And the yeah. CEO said it was the best budget he's ever seen, which who knows how, what kind of bar that even yeah. sets. But you'd think you're, when you're good at the job, you could not have to do the things that feel less genuine, which is to try to, like you said, backstab, but even if it's unintentional backstabbing of, of trying to keep certain people in the dark or position yourself in a certain way. But I think, I think the real struggle was, it was exhausting to play that person at work. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me to your point about the, we have a different person at home and, and at work. And I think just realize that in my experience, companies want you to care about them more than they care about you. Yeah. And so during any of this time, you should view it as investing in yourself and not necessarily doing it for the purpose of the company. Cause they might not be there when you need them in the future. And so since I had over time at many jobs gotten really, really good at Excel, I figured, why don't I teach that to other people and let them go do the job that I mm-hmm. seemingly can't, can't figure out how to keep. And so that's what led me to do online Excel training, is, which is my primary business. But either way, there's no real blueprint for how to run your own business. But also undergraduate and graduate, I had one Excel class and then I was doing 99% of my work was mm-hmm. in Excel. And I'm like, come on, people, let's... Let's be real. Let's actually teach us stuff that we need to know and not just go through the checklist, I guess, because yeah. uh, a lot of us who went to business school are woefully unprepared to either work in or run a business. And it takes a lot Correct. of failure to get there. Correct. Yeah, I'm. And that's that's another topic we could talk about. But I'm not the biggest advocate of schooling, especially today. There's a lot of ways you can, you know, I phrased this before in the podcast is get the revenue machine moving a lot earlier in life, either with a tech degree mm-hmm. in IT or a tech school with a trade job. Cause you, you minimize debt, you start compounding into the stock market at age 20, roughly. And, uh, you hit age 30, you hit age 40. I mean, you're, you're decades ahead of a lot of people by that point. Let's, let's circle back here. It sounds like you you would hire people that, and I like this, you want to hire people that 
tell you what to do, not you hire them so you can tell them what to do. That's a hiring philosophy. I forgot who who mentioned that, but um, I remember meeting a guy at one organization I worked at. He got in and he's he's like, I want to seek to understand before being understood. And I'm in here, I would assume, so I can help show people what to do, not in here to be told what to do. Well, the organization he came into, they wanted to tell him what to do. So it was immediate headbutting. <laughs> Maybe yeah. there was a little bit of that in your world, right? I think so. But it's also frustrating because if you're, let's say you're, you have the same exact job as someone else at the mm-hmm. company doing the same thing. If you're really good at the thing, we'll call this Excel in my case. If I can take something that takes 20 hours a week and make it take one hour a week, they're going to give me 19 more hours of other stuff that takes up that additional time. Mm-hmm. So you don't get to keep the time that you save with the right. skills you're you're producing. And also they may even pay someone more money to take longer to do the same thing because they just can't evaluate how difficult anything is if they don't have that skill set themselves. And so the tough part about working in a company is you really don't get to keep the time you save in your own business. If you do, if you learn how to make things go faster or scale things yeah. better, you get all the benefit of that. You don't have to um, essentially give that up to the company and still work 40 hours a week, uh, no matter right. how quickly you can do it, you know? And right. so that plus the, it wasn't that I was trying to hire someone who would manage me, but it's more like, I know where I'm weak and I wanted to make sure that we had strength in those areas. Compliment. Yeah. I remember talking to a business leader. I think it was in the last few years, but they said A players hire A players, B players hire C and D players because they want to bring these people in. They want to be able to tell these people what to do. And in your case, you know, I look at a circumstance. I have to ask, are, are you around age 30? 37 actually so wow. almost 40 hold hold on to your youth um <laughs> grasping and, and holding on for dear life <laughs> well done um what i'm hearing is you know a situation where you're technically proficient at excel but what i found in working for large corporations myself is you have to be good at politics and yes. in, in a good way and a bad way if you want to move from like a I would call it somebody who's it's more entry to mid level, but a technical person that's doing something technical. If you want to move to middle management, you got to be good at politics. You got to be able to satisfy whether it's right or wrong. You got to be able to satisfy the director level and the VP level. And that's how you kind of punch through to the upper echelon. And there's a lot of people, they, they can't do that. They can't climb that ladder. They can't say those things or make that PowerPoint or write those emails that have those little words, those little things mm-hmm. peppered in that make that uh, compliment the director, you know, and above. And I never aspired to go that route myself. Um, so my my background real quick is I've been in IT project management mm-hmm. 15 years and project managers are kind of like in their own island. You could be there like you know, year three at a school and you could be also be there year 35 out of school. You know, you're kind of in your own lane and you can, you can make more money, but it's like, it's, you're not really managing people. You can lead people, but you're not, you're not playing that corporate game. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I'm manager and then I'm director and then I'm VP and then I'm president. And then you get the C level thereafter. I, I just, I never wanted. And I, and similar to you is, I push back on the machine a little bit. Like if they want me to do something and it doesn't align with my values, it's a hell no. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Um, I think that's part of my problem too, is that if everything was, was going okay, you know, I wouldn't have as many issues, but if there's, if I see a lot of inefficiency and processes that are broken and I know I can fix them, Mm -hmm. but I'm being told instead of fixing them to just deal with it and, you know, and and I'm being told the wrong ideas and the wrong things Mm -hmm. from above, most likely. Um, and I just, as an aside, I think I'm really good at taking the nitty gritty detail and bring that high level to be able to bridge the world between both the people on the ground doing the work and the C-suite folks. I'm really good at like thinking high, mm. big picture and small picture. But what I'm bad at is if someone is saying we should continue to do this really bad idea, it's really difficult for me to not say, I, I think this is a bad idea and I don't think we should do this. And the more that I'm not listened to, and especially if I have more of my heart and soul into that project or into that thing it's harder for me to do the work after i'm told no i kind of physically retract from the work because it's it's hard to not be listened to when you've had so much experience seeing the specific thing maybe go wrong in the past yeah yeah i see you you're in a position where you get how these games are played you know these corporate machines run and you've got in my opinion, two options. You can continue to play that game and you're probably going to hit dead ends because your personality like mine, or you've got your own thing going. You've got, it sounds like courses teaching people how Mm -hmm. to get better at Excel. You know, that's a legitimate business model. And then you're, you're, uh, we talked about this briefly, podcast, you know, we're thinking about launching, right? (laughs) Well, the failure guy one, um, at least my podcast now, um, is two years and three months into it, but I oh, did it, it all myself. And so oh, okay. even one year into it, I was still getting one download a day. And I'm like, this is not what I expected. But It the- takes a long time. It yeah. does. <laughs> and, and so that's what I think is a, is a good lesson um, for anyone listening is that uh, not only do things take longer than they think, but most people give up earlier yeah. than, and if you have that resilience and make it about, you know, basically a goal that you can control. I can control how many episodes I put out. I can't mm-hmm. control as much how many people listen or care, but I know if I make the goal something that's within my power and I just know that I need to get, you know, this many episodes out or recorded or whatever the thing is, I can control that. The reception and how people mm-hmm. like it, I can't control that as much. So I try to make my um, my goals and objectives within my control and then learn from the feedback of whoever's consuming whatever thing it is, yeah. whether it's the training or the podcast, you know, try to figure out what's working, what isn't. But I like to say my motto is instead of fake it till you make it, which I think is really disingenuous and, and mm-hmm. all about showing the wrong thing. I say, fail it till you nail it, because it's really all go. about messing up until you learn how to do it the right way. And that's how mainly I've learned most things in life <laughs> is by messing around, breaking things, doing things differently than most, and then learning from it. But But it's hard to get out of your comfort zone and do a lot of those things. Even when I started the podcast no one, I had never done a podcast. I had no idea what's going on. I make mistakes all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's something I talked about before kicking this episode off um, a little bit and audience doesn't know this, but you know, I spent about a year kind of researching all the tech I need for the podcast and then what kind of length should I look at and how should I do intros and and what kind of music and where do I get the music? Oh, you need copyright free music. Got it. Okay. And, and the list goes on and there is this analysis paralysis. And finally it's like when ticker launched, it was summer of 2020. I'm like, that's it. I'm launching the podcast at the same time. I'm not analyzing. I'm moving forward and I'm going to fail or figure it out 
along the way in some way, shape, or form. So it sounds yeah. like we launched around at the same time. My yeah. September 2020 was when my first episode okay. came out. Okay. Yeah, it was it was July. So let's take a quick commercial break. If someone tells you to buy a stock, the last thing you should do is buy that stock. The first thing you should do is ask why. Unfortunately, a lot of influencers on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Reddit, and really the list goes on, are giving really bad stock recommendations and investment advice. The question is, how do you determine if what these people say is good advice or bad advice? That's where Ticker can help. Ticker can quickly and easily determine if a stock is a good or bad investment, and it helps you manage your investments with confidence. But don't take our word for it. Check out our Trustpilot reviews to see what people are really saying. Go ahead and get started with a free trial. Visit ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, ticker.com. All right, back to the show. You know, I, I really like that. Your That's your philosophy. You know, get out there and fail. Fail until you nail it. Can you share with us, is there any kind of like uh, like a business venture or something else you started that you failed along the way? Or was it really just the corporate path or the failures? Well, one thing I will say is a mistake that I made. And it's debatable whether it's a mistake based on how you view things in the world. But I started my Excel training website in uh, about 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago. Hmm. For the first eight years, uh, there were no ads. There was no way to pay me. There was me basically paying to teach people how to use Excel because I don't like what uh, I think growing up poor uh, and having poor role models financially, I when money gets involved with things, it, it makes it harder for me to understand uh, intentions and also just to make sure that it doesn't become go from a hobby to a job without me knowing how I want it to be. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, and I would say, if you're doing your own business or you're doing your own venture, don't do it for eight years for free. That doesn't make any sense. I, I wish I wish I capitalized when I had more traffic <laughs> much earlier. Cause you know, it, it uh, while it may feel good and it's great. I mean, that's part of why I did it, it was because of the schooling thing. You know, a lot of people can't afford to go to undergraduate, graduate school, and then still not get the training that they need in this mm -hmm. specific topic. So I thought, if I just give this away for free, at least I'll find out if people find it useful. And then by the time I monetized, it was probably too late considering how much momentum I had before, but I was too worried about breaking things than I was about making it better. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, oh, this is working somehow. I don't want to screw it up because that's what I tend sure. to do. But that's when you get into that analysis paralysis, you stop doing things and that, that kind of basically uh, make sure you don't succeed because you're not doing anything to make it to pump it up. So I'd say monetize sooner, but also just figure out what your, what your target market wants. And that's what I was trying to do during that time. But I was also working in corporate America, full-time jobs. So it was kind of like, if it's free, I don't have to feel like it's a, a deadline. I can right. just put things out as I want, but then as it, you know, it, it accumulates and I have like on my head, a uh, Microsoft MVP award uh, they give mm -hmm. out and I want four years for Microsoft Excel due to the free training uh, stuff. So like, there's a lot of clout and things you can get with the with the training that you're doing, but I'd say don't hesitate to give a, a even if you're doing mostly free, give a monetized option. Cause I waited too long out of fear of, of putting people off or being too salesy. Sure. And that's one of my own self-limiting beliefs that I think I need to get past. Cause I'd never had to do it. I just have to make the budget. You guys go sell or the forecast and I wouldn't have sure. to figure out the, the selling piece. So um, I think that's important. Now, now, did you monetize it as paid courses or did you only rely on advertising? 
So first started by doing a little bit of just ads. And so I had to move everything from Vimeo to YouTube, which I know that's not seemingly a big deal. But when one of your videos goes from 2.7 million views on this other platform to zero, uh, your legitimacy tends to drop with it. So, but I couldn't monetize via ads on the right. platform I was on. So there's a lot of learning mistakes, you know, along mm -hmm. the way. But basically all that old training is still free. If you go to my website, it's the main thing on it. I still don't know how to sell, it seems. But I do have mm. a paid course that I point people towards if they want the newest, best, what is my, uh, you know, better magnum opus version of of training in terms sure. of trying to do my best job. But I still wanted to keep that free piece for folks who need to upscale themselves without having uh, the money to do so. Yeah. And so I've always struggled with with battling the machine and not feeling like you're part of the machine. And, and once you yeah. start uh, introducing money, it can feel disingenuous at times. So I, I always really hesitate to bring in money into a project until I know how it'll affect things. So it took me too yeah. long there. I'm, I didn't even put an ad on my own podcast for my own business until episode 36 or something. Oh man. So I'm saying I don't do, I, I really focus on everyone else's yeah. experience of it than mine. Cause I have a really high wall when it comes to being sold. And I feel like I put that wall in front of me when I'm selling as well. But uh, mm -hmm. just for anyone who needs advice in that area, uh, one of the things I've heard is the best way to describe it is from Phil M. Jones. He's a great author. He has an audio book. That's a workshop thing. And he says, you're basically earning the right to make a recommendation. So you find out what you, you basically uh, try to not only just genuinely show interest in people, which is obviously important, but once you find that they have an area where they might need the thing that you have, you're just earning the right to make a recommendation that your thing might help them in that area rather than trying to sell directly at them. So, mm -hmm. to you know, that's the and always provide more value than you're charging because then you won't feel bad. I know that if someone pays, it's only $200 for a lifetime access to my course. And I know that if they took it, they'd save hours and hours and hours of time. Yeah. But I don't, I don't sell it as well. So that's the thing I'm trying to get better at now is like not only the content creation, but how do I focus better and how do I uh, better communicate the value that I'm trying to give? And it's a struggle. It's not easy because you're not taught a lot of those things, especially if you went to school for a very right. specific thing that wasn't that. Right. Yeah. I, a lot of good lessons there learned. And there's, there's entrepreneurs listening to this, you know, creating courses and, and we at Ticker, as we speak, you know, recording in this episode is middle of December. We are going live with a course platform in early 2023, just based on demand from, you know, some of our customers. And one, this was good advice years ago. I heard is from somebody creating courses and I actually got on the call with them and they, they taught me is like, if you're, teaching information you need to set this baseline and be like the more you charge the more people will pay attention like when they get that credit card out and they swipe that they're committed they're investing but if you make it free he told me that that's the issue they're going to kind of piecemeal it they'll take a look at a video today and then another one three months from now then another one a year from now they won't take it serious whereas you you paid for your education you got it looks like your mba behind you yeah, it um, is you that's a price you paid and it's like oh I better put my big boy pants on here and i better commit <laughs> yeah but there's even things where like uh if you if you look i'm on investopedia's top six excel classes of 2022 but i don't know what to do with a lot of these things you know but what you were saying is right. Um, I think free can hurt you for sure. Mm -hmm. That's especially the only thing you have. 
but not just in, um, even if someone loves the content and it consumes it like a wild person, you still don't get much out of it. But uh, to your point, to get enrollment and to get people to actually care about completing a course, because that's really where a lot of people fail is they, they'll start something, but they don't have any skin in the game. Um, that money, that payment is really them going, okay, I'm putting dollar bills into someone else's pocket to get this. It's much more likely that they're going to finish that course or at least take it more seriously. Yeah. And I think um, free with a free without a paid option can make you look less desirable. Right. Because because it doesn't seem like you've found a way to convince yourself that it's worth selling. So yeah. to speak. Yep. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. So glad to hear you're you're charging. I do have to ask, are you using a specific like course platform or do you have it put together on like WordPress? My main site's in WordPress. Uh, I had okay. click, and then, but then I, that's all the free stuff. I I had ClickFunnels originally as where I used sure. for my uh, platform. I've switched to Teachable. I'm now going to maybe switch to something else because I don't like not having ownership of my audience. And mm. uh, and it can be tough every time I want to, not want to. The one time I did switch from ClickFunnels to Teachable, you got to migrate all your students, existing students, because I do lifetime deals. Yeah all the way over to the other one. And so I want to make sure if I do another transition like that, whether it's bringing it all into WordPress or doing some sort of overhaul, that at least I own my audience. Because a lot of times when you're on a different platform, whether it's ClickFunnels, Teachable, even a Facebook group or whatever, wherever your audience is, if you don't own the right of access to their information or whatever, you know, like my mailing list is pretty big. I don't email them. That's just ridiculous, but uh, it's true. I like, I don't, I don't, I don't like interrupting people's <laughs> lives. And so and even when I do email them, it's just tips. Oh, man. So I do, I, but I make these mistakes and then I realize I got to learn from Your business. Them. Yeah. And, yeah. and the only way to really learn from it is to go, oh, wow, that hurt. That stung. And it's okay to grieve and like mm-hmm. have experienced that failure or, or mistake. But I think the biggest failure is to not actually learn from the mistakes that you've paid yeah. so much to make. You know, it, it's a big cost that you yeah. have to take to even let yourself experience that to like stuff it down and ignore it would be the biggest failure rather than learning from it and making sure that you don't make that state mistake yeah. in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, fail forward, fail fast. And I had a, for example, I had an agency between 2006 and 2010 as my first business out of school. I worked for a company for a year just to learn the agency model, how they make money. It was like building websites and software and doing video. And and I did that. It was horrible through the recession because nobody wanted to spend any money. And I'm cutting projects 50% in half to even get the work and hated the business model. And and I kicked myself after four years. I'm like, you did this four years? Like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, but expecting a different result. Sean, you're an idiot. And um, <laughs> I, uh, we we grew the last year and I, I um, we went through a merger and I'm like, I knew at that point the type of business model I wanted, which was SaaS, wanted to create some kind of software as a service model, mm-hmm. didn't have an idea. So I went more corporate, but in hindsight, those first, those four years, I got to work with like, or pitch, mostly pitch, not work with about 400 businesses. Mm-hmm. So I got to learn how do they make money? What is their revenue model? What is their operations model? Sales, marketing, all that. It was like a precursor to analyzing stocks. So it all worked out. But but my gosh, nowadays, like if we, if we do something, we're not seeing results. It, it's one of those deals where 
okay, we got to make a micro pivot here. What do we do to start moving the needle? Because otherwise it's going to be this four years of doing the same thing, expecting a different result, but we get the same result. <laughs> yeah. I think part of that's a sunk cost fallacy, but yeah. with time, you know, it's like, I've yeah. spent so much time in this thing. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a great example. I think Seth Godin mentioned where it's like something mm -hmm. like 60% of dentists don't want to be dentists, but they're still dentists because they went to school for it and they spent so much time and they, yes. they view that sunk cost as uh, something that they can't break free from. But do you want to live a miserable life being a dentist for the rest of your life? If you truly hate it, I would say you probably shouldn't. But to your mm -hmm. point, like it, it is difficult when you've spent so much time building something to not view the non-success of it as a failure when you've learned quite a lot. I mean, even with my storied past of many jobs, every time I would start a new job, I would change industry. So I mentioned that prior to the call, but you know, I've worked in public accounting, real estate, diamond jewelry, uh, video game industry, uh, chemical company that services the marijuana industry, most recently mm -hmm. healthcare. I always like switching industries because either way it's Excel spreadsheets all the way down as far as I could see. So I might as well learn a new industry and how things yeah. work there. And the, to have that experience across many different industries has given me insight into how a lot of the clients I work with maybe thinking, and I might not have had that if I just stayed at KPMG from when I graduated until mm -hmm. now, um, certainly wouldn't have done more of the things that are, are risky. Um, and so right. it, it's not a guaranteed path to anything, but I regret that I was more on the forefront of timing in terms of online learning. And that now just like, you know, as you mentioned, you're coming out with a course, I'm not targeting you. I'm saying mm -hmm. I had a more of a first mover advantage than I realized. And oh, yeah. I still have some of that legitimacy, but I need to work on getting better at um, figuring out where I want to go with the future of it, because a lot of times I can get stuck in that analysis paralysis you mentioned. And yeah. then I, like I said, I like calling the podcast, my podcrastinating from <laughs> the main business. And so what I, what, that's sometimes easier to dig into than to yeah. all the problems I got to fix on the website or whatever it is. But I think the main thing is I haven't yet gotten to the point where I can automate, eliminate and delegate and figure out and prioritize everything yeah. well, or trust people enough to not mess it up. You know, there's a lot of weird things that go along psychologically in your own business when you control everything mm -hmm. and giving up some of that, uh, either control or just comfortability in knowing what is being produced. Giving some of that up is, is really difficult sometimes, especially if you're a little bit of a perfectionist, despite your amount of failure that you've had. I have a weird like uh, it's tough for me to let go of something that isn't perfect, but I've been getting better at just shipping work and realizing that everything isn't going to yeah. be perfect. And and I, I do it. better when I make things than when I worry about how the thing will come out. So sure. I think spreading that comfort zone, expanding it, sure. using fear as like a fuel to push you in that direction is a good thing. And if, and if you're mm -hmm. feeling like, oh, this is kind of scary, it probably means you're stepping outside your comfort zone. And that's really usually where a lot of that magic happens because then that comfort zone expands and then your abilities and everything expand around it. Right on, right on. Um, have you ever read uh, Jeff Walker's book, Product Launch Formula? I don't think so, which is a ridiculous answer to say, but no, I don't think so. Put it on your list, like to do product courses. Launch formula. Product Launch Formula by Jeff Walker. Um, one of the best books on doing courses and launching a business, monetizing it, it is, it's both motivational and tactically sound. Like the, the tips he gives, I still, 
you know, I read it years ago. I'm already going back to some of the notes I took to make sure I implement those in when we do the course here for Ticker. But uh, yeah, you've got a path here, my friend, to get out of the corporate grind. I say you run that race, get out of there, because otherwise it's going to be the same old. You're going to run into, hate to say it, we're going to be in firing event number seven. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I started the podcast, I was in my sixth job. So I thought it was five for five. I'm going to stay that way. But, you know, I thought failure was historical. I was hoping that, sure. uh, that at the time. But, hey, uh, all I really care about is making sure that I try not to make the same mistakes again and also learn from anything that would result in a failure. But I also love to interview people about their own failures because like you're saying, we people do the social media highlight reel and only show the things that yeah. make them look good. And we know that's not how it always is. It's not reality. Yeah. yeah. And until yeah. they get usually past that and into success, they're comfortable talking about failure. I'm the one weirdo who's like, I'm going to talk about it, even though I'm not necessarily uh, in the successful land yet. But I realize that I need to wear and like have exposure therapy essentially to the word failure and destigmatize it for myself so that I can think of it as more of a learning experience and a stepping stone towards success. Yeah. I think I said it on the last podcast that I'll say on this one too, is Michael Jordan has a famous quote. It's he failed X amount of free throws. He missed X amount of three pointers and game winning shots. Um, the list goes on and I fail. And that is why I succeed. It's just this huge list of all the failures. And then the one thing at the bottom, why he succeeds. And it's just like, it hits you in the chest. It's like right there, that guy. Yeah, he knows a thing or two about failure, yep. and look where look what he's done. So, yep. and look how he thinks about himself. Considering he, yeah. everyone else would consider him to be yeah. the exact opposite of someone who fails. Yes, right. Love that. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, this is Sean. I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for taking the time to listen to this one. I have a quick request. If you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review? The reason is the more ratings we get and the higher those ratings are, the more Apple will share us with the world. So thanks in advance for doing that. And then I have a quick comment. If there are any questions you want me to ask the guests, please head over to our ticker Facebook group. You can drop a question right there. I'll go ahead and make a note and I'll do my best to ask that question on the podcast. All right, back to the show. All right. I want to ask you a few questions here. I got to jump off top of the hour, but mm -hmm. a few questions in the rapid fire round, and then we'll ask uh, where people can reach you. First off, um, what is your favorite podcast? So I mentioned Seth Godin a little while ago. Uh, yep. His podcast, Akimbo, is fantastic. I would suggest anybody check it out. It's, uh, it's the first half is him doing a monologue, basically. And then the second half is answering questions about previous episodes. But his marketing insight, his empathy, and the way he does things is how I wish all of corporate America thought, and he's yes. a really great marketing idol. And so Akimbo, A-K-I-M-B-O, I would, I, I have not missed a episode since I heard about it. And I even go back to the older stuff. So I'd say that's besides my own podcast, but I'd, yeah. and that I would say definitely listen to the other one before mine, because it's, it's just so good. I've gotten so much out of it. And uh, I'm going to put it, well. I'm going to move that up at the list. I like Seth. He's, he's a good guy. Yeah. All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? I think the reason one that I've read and have to read again is probably Atomic Habits by James Clear, because I love the book. My problem is implementation. And that's really where the failure thing came in. A lot of these self-improvement books I was reading, I'm like, I'm really not implementing the 
self-improving parts, but they all say to get comfortable with failure. So I was like, that I can do because I've got a lot of that to work mm-hmm. with. But I really need to change the the daily habits that give you those incremental wins that you don't see as much until much later. You know, those 1% adjustments every day that then over time sure. lead to great success. But I, since I have ADHD, which I hadn't mentioned, and also is something that has been a, a roadblock in some of those sure. career paths, uh, I need to make sure that I uh, limit distractions and other things that might uh, take me away from what I should be doing. And so I think uh, that book, Atomic Habits, and also uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, mm-hmm. both of those books are fabulous in terms of thinking about what you do on a daily basis that either helps or hurts uh, right. yourself or your business. Right. That's great. Um, I've got time for one more fun question, which is the movie question. What's your favorite movie? It flip-flops between Back to the Future 1 and 2, uh, depending on the day. So, uh, I don't know. I've seen both so many times. Uh, now that we're past the future of Back to the Future, it's probably more the first one, if I had to um, pick one. Considered one of the best screenplays ever written. Seriously, in film schools, they mm-hmm. refer to it as like the benchmark. It is, yeah, one of my favorite films, too. Nice nice call. Yeah, right. I, I was just going to say it's the perfect story of the hero's journey. But once I learned that, then I saw it in other movies. I was like, oh, I know what's going to happen. And I saw the same thing in business. When I learned the the hero's journey of business, you know, working in business, I kind of also see the same things about corporate politics and whatnot. So like when I see a a behind the scenes, sometimes it can ruin the enlightenment for me. So Mm -hmm. thankfully it didn't ruin back to the future, but like future superhero movies and stuff. It's kind of like the same story over and over. Yeah, yeah. There's a template, but you're you're technically the the protagonist of your own story, and you're creating that story as you speak. That's the way I phrase it. It's so cheesy. Yes. No, we're the hero, <laughs> ideally, or we can be the Yoda or whatever. We can be the helper. Uh, true, true. Yeah, right. All right. Where can people reach you? Um, absolutely. So, excelexposure.com is the website for my Excel training. Uh, happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. I'm surprised that I'm saying LinkedIn is my main platform, but after 15 years being on it, I finally uh, embraced it and uh, am trying to actually use it intentionally because uh, for the longest time, I viewed it as just a boring resume holder. So uh, feel free to connect with me, Benjamin Carrier, on LinkedIn and uh, check out the Failure Guy podcast uh, available wherever podcasts are listened to if you just search for Failure Guy. Awesome. Ben, this was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your your failures, being authentic. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me and I hope the uh, listeners get uh, at least one nugget or two out of this conversation. Absolutely, they will. All right, we'll see you, buddy. Thanks again. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for spending some time with me. Also, if you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? The more reviews we get, the more Apple will share this podcast with the world. So thanks for doing that. And last thing, if you do hear any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not make a buy or sell decision based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. Talk to you later. See ya.